Section 22 of The Descent of Man, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. The Descent of Man, Part 2 by Charles Darwin. Chapter 15 Birds Concluded Part 2 No one doubts that both sexes of many birds have had their colors adapted for the sake of protection, and it is possible that the females alone of some species have been modified for this end. Although it would be difficult, perhaps an impossible process, as shown in the last chapter, to convert one form of transmission into another through selection. There would not be the least difficulty in adapting the colors of the female, independently of those of the male, to surrounding objects, through the accumulation of variations, which were from the first limited in their transmission to the female sex. If the variations were not thus limited, the bright tints of the male would be deteriorated or destroyed. Whether the females alone of many species have been thus specially modified is at present very doubtful. I wish I could follow Mr. Wallace to the full extent, for the admission would remove some difficulties. Any variations which were of no service to the female as a protection would be at once obliterated, instead of being lost simply by not being selected, or from free intercrossing, or from being eliminated when transferred to the male and in any way injurious to him. Thus the plumage of the female would be kept constant in character. It would also be a relief if we could admit that the obscure tints of both sexes of many birds had been acquired and preserved for the sake of protection. For example, of the hedge warbler, or kitty wren, accentor modularis, and troglodytes vulgaris, with respect to which we have no sufficient evidence of the action of sexual selection. We ought, however, to be cautious in concluding that colors which appear to us dull are not attractive to the females of certain species. We should bear in mind such cases as that of the common house sparrow, in which the male differs much from the female, but does not exhibit any bright tints. No one probably will dispute that many gallinaceous birds, which live on the open ground, have acquired their present colors at least in part, for the sake of protection. We know how well they are thus concealed. We know that ptarmigans, whilst changing from winter to their summer plumage, both of which are protective, suffer greatly from birds of prey. But can we believe that the very slight differences in tints and markings between, for instance, the female black grouse and red grouse serve as a protection? Are partridges, as they are now colored, better protected 
than if they had resembled quails. Do the slight differences between the females of the common pheasant, the Japan and gold pheasants, serve as a protection, or might not their plumages have been interchanged with impunity? From what Mr. Wallace has observed of the habits of certain gallinaceous birds in the East, he thinks that such slight differences are beneficial. For myself, I will only say that I am not convinced. Formerly, when I was inclined to lay much stress on protection as accounting for the duller colors of female birds, it occurred to me that possibly both sexes and the young might aboriginally have been equally bright colored, but that subsequently the females, from the danger incurred during incubation, and the young, from being inexperienced, had been rendered dull as a protection. But this view is not supported by any evidence, and is not probable. For we thus, in imagination, expose during past times the females and the younger to danger, from which it has subsequently been necessary to shield their modified descendants. We have also to reduce through a gradual process of selection, the females and the young to almost exactly the same tints and markings, and to transmit them to the corresponding sex and period of life. On the supposition that the females and the young have partaken during each stage of the process of modification of a tendency to be as brightly colored as the males, it is somewhat strange fact that the females have never been rendered dull-colored without the young participating in the same change, for there are no instances, as far as I can discover, of species with the females dull and the young bright-colored. A partial exception, however, is offered by the young of certain woodpeckers, for they have the whole upper part of the head tinged with red, which afterwards either decreases into a mere circular red line in the adults of both sexes, or quite disappears in the adult females. Finally, with respect to our present class of cases, the most probable view appears to be that successive variations in brightness or in other ornamental characters, occurring in the males at a rather late period of life, have alone been preserved, and that most or all of these variations, owing to the late period of life at which they appeared, have been from the first transmitted only to the adult male offspring. Any variations in brightness occurring in the females or in the young would have been of no service to them, and would not have been selected, and moreover, if dangerous, would have been eliminated. Thus the females and the young will either have been left unmodified, or, as is much more common, they will have been partially modified by receiving through transference from the males some of his successive variations. Both sexes 
have perhaps been directly acted on by the conditions of life to which they have long been exposed but the females from not being otherwise much modified will best exhibit any such effects these changes and all others will have been kept uniform by the free intercrossing of many individuals in some cases especially with ground birds the females and the young may possibly have been modified independently of the males for the sake of protection so as to have acquired the same dull-coloured plumage class two when the adult female is more conspicuous than the adult male the young of both sexes in their first plumage resemble the adult male this class is exactly the reverse of the last for the females here are brighter coloured or more conspicuous than the males and the young as far as they are known resemble the adult males instead of the adult females but the difference between the sexes is never nearly so great as with many birds in the first class and the cases are comparatively rare mr wallace who first called attention to the singular relation which exists between the less bright colours of the males and their performing the duties of incubation lays great stress on this point as a crucial test that obscure colours have been acquired for the sake of protection during the period of nesting a different view seems to me more probable as the cases are curious and not numerous i will briefly give all that i have been able to find in one section of the genus turnix quail-like birds the female is invariably larger than the male being nearly twice as large in one of the australian species and this is an unusual circumstance with the gallinaceae in most of the species the female is more distinctly coloured and brighter than the male but in some few species the sexes are alike in turnix tagore of india the male wants the black on the throat and neck and the whole tone of the plumage is lighter and less pronounced than that of the female the female appears to be noisier and is certainly much more pugnacious than the male so that the females and not the males are often kept by the natives for fighting like gamecocks as male birds are exposed by the english bird-catchers for a decoy near a trap in order to catch other males by exciting their rivalry so the females of this turnix are employed in india when thus exposed the females soon begin their loud purring call which can be heard a long way off and any females within earshot run rapidly to the spot and commence fighting with the caged bird in this way from twelve to twenty birds all breeding females can be caught in the course of a single day the natives assert that the females after laying their eggs associate in flocks and leave the males to sit on them 
there is no reason to doubt the truth of this assertion which is supported by some observations made in china by mr swinhoe mr blythe believes that the young of both sexes resemble the adult male the female of three species of painted snipes Ryanchea, are not only larger but much more richly coloured than the males with all other birds in which the trachea differs in structure in the two sexes it is more developed and complex in the male than in the female but in the Ryanchea australis it is simple in the male whilst in the female it makes four distinct convolutions before entering the lungs the female therefore of this species has acquired an eminently masculine character mr blythe ascertained by examining many specimens that the trachea is not convoluted in either sex of r bengalensis which species resembles r australis so closely that it can hardly be distinguished except by its shorter toes this fact is another striking instance of the law that secondary sexual characters are often widely different in closely allied forms though it is a very rare circumstance when such differences relate to the female sex the young of both sexes of r bengalensis in their first plumage are said to resemble the mature male there is also reason to believe that the male undertakes the duty of incubation for mr swinehoe found the females before the close of the summer associated in flocks as occurs with the females of the turnix the female of phalaropus fulicarius and p hyperboreus are larger and in their summer plumage more gaily attired than the males but the difference in colour between the sexes is far from conspicuous according to professor steenstrup the male alone of p fulicarius undertakes the duty of incubation this is likewise shown by the state of his breast feathers during the breeding season the female of the dotterel plover euteromius morinellus is larger than the male and has the red and black tints on the lower surface the white crescent on the breast and the stripes over the eyes more strongly pronounced the male also takes at least a share in hatching the eggs but the female likewise attends to the young for these several statements see mr gould's birds of great britain professor newton informs me that he has long been convinced from his own observations and from those of others that the males of the above-named species take either the whole or a large share of the duties of incubation and that they show much greater devotion towards the young when in danger than do the females so it is as he informs me with limosa lapanica and some few other waders in which the females are larger and have more strongly contrasted colours than the males i have not been able to discover whether with these species the young resemble the adult males more closely than the adult females for the comparison is somewhat difficult to make 
on account of the double molt. Turning now to the ostrich order, the male of the common cassowary, Cassorius galatus, would be thought by any one to be the female. From his smaller size, and from the appendages and naked skin about his head being much less brightly coloured, and I am informed by Mr. Bartlett that in the zoological gardens it is certainly the male alone who sits on the eggs and takes care of the young. The natives of serum assert that the male and female sit alternately on the eggs, but this assertion, as Mr. Bartlett thinks, may be accounted for by the female visiting the nest to lay her eggs. The female is said by Mr. T. W. Wood to exhibit, during the breeding season, a most pugnacious disposition, and her wattles then become enlarged and more brilliantly coloured. So again the female of one of the Emus dromoeus irratus is considerably larger than the male, and she possesses a slight top-knot, but is otherwise indistinguishable in plumage. She appears, however, to have greater power when angry or otherwise excited of erecting, like a turkey cock, the feathers of her neck and breast. She is usually the more courageous and pugilistic. She makes a deep, hollow, guttural boom, especially at night, sounding like a small gong. The male has a slender frame and is more docile, with no voice beyond a suppressed hiss when angry, or a croak. He not only performs the whole duty of incubation, but has to defend the young from their mother, for as soon as she catches sight of her progeny, she becomes violently agitated, and notwithstanding the resistance of the father, appears to use her utmost endeavors to destroy them. For months afterwards, it is unsafe to put the parents together, violent quarrels being the inevitable result, in which the female generally comes off conqueror. So that with this emu, we have a complete reversal, not only of the parental and incubating instincts, but of the usual moral qualities of the two sexes. The females being savage, quarrelsome and noisy, the males gentle and good. The case is very different with the African ostrich, for the male is somewhat larger than the female and has finer plumes, with more strongly contrasted colors. Nevertheless, he undertakes the whole duty of incubation. So it is with Rhea Darwini. Captain Musters says that the male is larger, stronger, and swifter than the female, and of slightly darker colors, yet he takes sole charge of the eggs and of the young, just as does the male of the common species of Rhea. I will specify the few other cases known to me, in which the female is more conspicuously colored than the male, although nothing is known about the manner of incubation. With the carrion hawk of the Falkland Islands, Milvago lucaris, I was much surprised to find by dissection 
that the individuals which had all their tints strongly pronounced with the sear and legs orange-coloured were the adult females whilst those with duller plumage and grey legs were the males or the young in an australian tree-creeper climacterus erythrops the female differs from the male in being adorned with beautiful radiated rufous markings on the throat the male having this part quite plain lastly in an australian nightjar the female always exceeds the male in size and in brilliance of her tints the males on the other hand have two white spots on the primaries more conspicuous than the female the new zealand shieldrake tadorna variegata offers a quite anomalous case the head of the female is pure white and her back is redder than that of the male the head of the male is of a rich dark bronzed color and his back clothed with finely penciled slate-colored feathers so that altogether he may be considered as the more beautiful of the two he is larger and more pugnacious than the female and does not sit on the eggs so that in all these respects this species comes under our first class of cases but mr sclater was much surprised to observe that the young of both sexes when about three months old resembled in their dark heads and necks the adult males instead of the adult females so that it would appear in this case that the females have been modified whilst the males and the young have retained a former state of plumage we thus see that the cases in which female birds are more conspicuously colored than the males with the young in their immature plumage resembling the adult males instead of the adult females as in the previous class are not numerous though they are distributed in various orders the amount of difference also between the sexes is incomparably less than that which frequently occurs in the last class so that the cause of the difference whatever it may have been has here acted on the females either less energetically or less persistently than on the males in the last class mr wallace believes that the males have had their colors rendered less conspicuous for the sake of protection during the period of incubation but the difference between the sexes in hardly any of the foregoing cases appears sufficiently great for this view to be safely accepted in some of the cases the brighter tints of the female are almost confined to the lower surface and the males if thus colored would not have been exposed to danger while sitting on the eggs it should also be borne in mind that the males are not only in a slight degree less conspicuously colored than the females but are smaller and weaker they have moreover not only acquired the maternal instinct of incubation but are less pugnacious and vociferous than the females and in one instance 
have simpler vocal organs. Thus an almost complete transposition of the instincts, habits, disposition, color, size, and of some points of structure, has been effected between the two sexes. Now, if we might assume that the males in the present class have lost some of that ardor which is usual to their sex, so that they no longer search eagerly for the females, or if we might assume that the females have become much more numerous than the males, and in the case of one Indian turnix, the females are said to be much more commonly met with than the males, then it is not improbable that the females would have been led to court the males, instead of being courted by them. This indeed is the case to a certain extent with some birds, as we have seen with the peahen, wild turkey, and certain kinds of grouse. Taking as our guide the habits of most male birds, the greater size and strength as well as the extraordinary pugnacity of the females of the turnix and emu must mean that they endeavour to drive away rival females in order to gain possession of the male and on this view all the facts become clear for the males would probably be most charmed or excited by the females which were the most attractive to them by their bright colours other ornaments or vocal powers sexual selection would then do its work steadily adding to the attractions of the females the males and the young being left not at all or but little modified class three when the adult male resembles the adult female the young of both sexes have a peculiar first plumage of their own in this class the sexes when adult resemble each other and differ from the young this occurs with many birds of many kinds the male robin can hardly be distinguished from the female but the young are widely different with their mottled dusky olive and brown plumage the male and female of the splendid scarlet ibis are alike whilst the young are brown and the scarlet color, though common to both sexes, is apparently a sexual character, for it is not well developed in either sex under confinement. And a loss of color often occurs with brilliant males when they are confined. With many species of herons, the young differ greatly from the adults, and the summer plumage of the latter, though common to both sexes, clearly as a nuptial character. Young swans are slate-colored, whilst the mature birds are pure white, but it would be superfluous to give additional instances. These differences between the young and the old apparently depend, as in the last two classes, on the young having retained a former or ancient state of plumage, whilst the old of both sexes have acquired a new one. When the adults are bright-colored, we may conclude from the remarks just made in relation to the scarlet ibis and to many herons, and from the analogy of the species in the first class, that such colors have been acquired through sexual selection 
by the nearly mature males, but that differently from what occurs in the first two classes, the transmission, though limited to the same age, has not been limited to the same sex. Consequently, the sexes, when mature, resemble each other and differ from the young. Class 4 When the adult male resembles the adult female, the young of both sexes in their first plumage resembles the adults. In this class, the young and the adult of both sexes, whether brilliantly or obscurely colored, resemble each other. Such cases are, I think, more common than those in the last class. We have in England instances in the kingfisher, some woodpeckers, the jay, magpie, crow, and many small, dull-colored birds, such as the hedge warbler or kitty wren. But the similarity in plumage between the young and old is never complete and graduates away into dissimilarity. Thus the young of some members of the kingfisher family are not only less vividly colored than the adults, but many of the feathers on the lower surface are edged with brown, a vestige probably of a former state of the plumage. Frequently in the same group of birds, even within the same genus, for instance, in the Australian genus of parakeets, Platycerus, the young of some species closely resemble, whilst the young of other species differ considerably, from their parents of both sexes, which are alike. Both sexes and the young of the common jay are closely similar, but in the Canada jay, Pyrrhosaurus canadensis, the young differ so much from their parents that they were formerly described as a distinct species. I may remark before proceeding that under the present and next two classes of cases the facts are so complex and the conclusions so doubtful that anyone who feels no special interest in the subject had better pass them over. The brilliant or conspicuous colors which characterize many birds in the present class can rarely or never be of service to them as a protection, so that they have probably been gained by the males through sexual selection and then transferred to the females and the young. It is, however, possible that the males may have selected the more attractive females, and if these transmitted their characters to their offspring of both sexes, the same results would follow as from the selection of the more attractive males by the females. But there is evidence that this contingency has rarely, if ever, occurred in any of those groups of birds in which the sexes are generally alike. For, if even a few of the successive variations had failed to be transmitted to both sexes, the females would have slightly exceeded the males in beauty. Exactly the reverse occurs under nature, for in almost every large group in which the sexes generally resemble each other, the males of some few species are in a slight degree more brightly colored than the females. 
it is again possible that the females may have selected the more beautiful males these males having reciprocally selected the more beautiful females but it is doubtful whether this double process of selection would be likely to occur owing to the greater eagerness of one sex than the other and whether it would be more efficient than selection on one side alone it is therefore the most probable view that sexual selection has acted in the present class as far as ornamental characters are concerned in accordance with the general rule throughout the animal kingdom that is on the males and that these have transmitted their gradually acquired colours either equally or almost equally to their offspring of both sexes another point is more doubtful namely whether the successive variations first appeared in the males after had become nearly mature or whilst quite young in either case sexual selection must have acted on the male when he had to compete with rivals for the possession of the female and in both cases the characters thus acquired have been transmitted to both sexes and all ages but these characters if acquired by the males when adult may have been transmitted at first to the adults alone and at some subsequent period transferred to the young for it is known that when the law of inheritance at corresponding ages fails the offspring often inherit characters at an earlier age than that at which they first appeared in their parents cases apparently of this kind have been observed with birds in a state of nature for instance mr blythe has seen specimens of lanius rufus and of columbus galaceus which had assumed whilst young in a quite anomalous manner the adult plumage of their parents again the young of the common swan cygnus olor do not cast off their dark feathers and become white until eighteen months or two years old but dr f forel has described the case of three vigorous young birds out of a brood of four which were born pure white these young birds were not albinos as shown by the colour of their beaks and legs which nearly resembled the same parts in the adults the young of the polish swan cygnus immutabilis of yarrow are always white but this species as mr sclater informs me is believed to be nothing more than a variety of the domestic swan cygnus olor end of section twenty two